Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You know where to follow me. I'm already verified. Make sure you guys tweet Chris. Remind him to call it the tweet machine so that Chris can get himself a blue check. Chris, talk to him. Breaking news, everybody. By the time you hear this, I will have a blue check. Really? I'm just kidding. Oh, damn. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. We definitely know the regular season is upon us because we have our first week one opponent episode we have our first special guest of the 2020 regular season we have from atlanta covering the falcons for us at the athletic tori McElhaney. how's it going tori it's going good how are you guys today uh we're all right we're all right uh we're just i i can't even really believe the season's here honestly i know you've only been covering the falcons for like a month but like what does it feel like to just like know that there's actual football gonna be played this weekend I think for me, it was just kind of like I didn't think that we were going to get to this point. Like, you know, you kind of keep your head down for training camp, and it's just, I know for me, like, just coming on this very first month, I mean, the last 30 days has been pretty hectic. I've just been kind of, like, running around with a chicken with my head cut off a little bit. So, like, to actually know that, oh, my gosh, I have a game to cover on Sunday, it's, it's definitely a weird feeling. The the whole season is just kind of weird, and for, for two primary reasons, COVID-19 and how the conversation of just racial injustice has swept the nation, not just sports. Uh, I want to start with the latter a little bit. How have the Falcons kind of tackled this compared to some other teams? Like Seattle canceled practice, some other teams did that. Uh, what's kind of been the Falcons' kind of push in terms of social justice? Yeah, so the Falcons particularly, I know that they never actually canceled practice. I know kind of um, – the, the day that that, all, that teams across the league were kind of canceling practice and, you know, taking a stand, we had Stephen Means, who um, is a defensive lineman for the Falcons, and he was very outspoken with us, and we got him on a Zoom call that day, and he kind of made the comment that he was like, we don't want, he was like, I've been my entire life kind of the guy that has, like, a knee-jerk reaction. And he was like, with this situation, he was like, I didn't want to do that. He was like, I didn't want to have a knee-jerk reaction. I wanted to establish something that I think is going to be able to create real and true change and that was kind of what he said and he kind of focused a lot on the Falcons um, voting initiative. I know that that's something that even back in May and early June that they kind of established um, that they wanted to get people out and vote and I know that Steven kind of talked about they've already talked to a few different athletic directors at local high schools in their area around like the Atlanta area and the Flowery Branch area and just kind of talking about getting kids out and not just voting but kind of helping out at local polls since with the whole COVID-19 situation they're like older people who are normally the ones that are working the polls they may not want to so talking about having you know, younger kids who are probably a bit more healthy, um, able to to go out and help out at their local polls. So that's something that they've really been focusing on more so than maybe protesting, more so than maybe like canceling practice out of solidarity to focus more on the conversation of voting and it being an election year. For you personally, having only been covering this team for a month, what has it been like to mix in, you know, getting to know the team, scrambling to get that part, and then, you know, with the pandemic factoring into your coverage, oh, and on top of, like, the whole nation protesting police brutality? How, how have you been handling that? It, 
I would be lying if I said that it's been easy. It definitely hasn't. It's been really tough. And, you know, I was covering Georgia Tech in Atlanta for the last year and a half, and I know they were doing a lot of stuff with, like, voting initiatives, and um, those guys over at Georgia Tech were very outspoken about where they stand on everything. And uh, and then going over to the Falcons, it was kind of the same same deal. And I know that I just kind of looked at it as, like, it's my job to let these fans of these players know where they stand and how they feel about these situations and let their stories be heard. I know Stephen Means, when we talked to him, he kind of told a story about how he grew up and this was a pretty, this was normal. He was like, the police brutality and um, racial issues and injustices, he's like, this is normal. This is what I grew up seeing every single day. And he was like, it wasn't until I got older that I realized, you know, this is not normal. And I think in order to kind of get that point across that like athletes have seen these things in their life it's it's not like they're separated from all of this these are things that are impacting them too even though they're making millions and millions of dollars like they have a voice in this too and they should be able to use their platform and i'm so tired of hearing the stick to sports thing that everybody seems to say to these coaches and players like no they have a platform and they have a right to say what they feel so that's been really important to me through this and trying to find ways to give these players and coaches their voice yeah, Bobby Wagner after, I think it was after his first Zoom after George Floyd had got killed, he made a call to the, I think it was, yeah, to the media, like, hey, you guys have a role in this too. You know what our message is, and if you give a damn, you know, you'll help us get it out the right way. And I thought that was really mm-hmm. important for everyone uh, to to hear. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear how you're uh, kind of taking on that obligation to, to, to get the message out there. Um, can we... Uh, can we, there's no awkward way to do it. Can we pivot to football for a second? Is that cool? <laughs> right, yeah. Let's do football, let's, yeah. Let, let's, let, let's do it. Um, there's a lot of money that the Falcons have invested into this offense, uh, and rightfully so. They have some really talented uh, players. If it, Let's put on like a little imaginary cap here. If the, if the Falcons were to play to the potential that their salaries say they should on offense, what would that look like uh, for this team this year? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I, I, it's funny that you're you're asking about like how much money that's to put into the offense. Because just yesterday, I, we talked to um, Dirk Cutter, who's the offensive coordinator. You know, he's in year two, and um, I was kind of looking at how much money they were, and I think it was like forty-seven point eight four percent of their cap is spent on the offense, and they have like two or three less players on the offense that they're paying than they do the defense. And so, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is when you're paying like these big bucks to these guys like and that was something that Cutter was kind of talking about he was like you know the, the the whole scope of having a successful season for the Falcons is for us to play to our talent level and he was like we have so many talented offensive pieces he was like I have so many tools that I can work with he was like but the key is playing to that level playing to the level of the talent that we know we have and so if the Falcons can do that, like, I think they're going to be a very high-scoring offensive team. But if not, it's probably going to look a little bit like how they started the season last year, which wasn't good. No, no, it was not. Todd Gurley, he, his season pretty much came to a abrupt end with the Rams for reasons we understand, knee issues. They just weren't sure about his future, and they didn't want to pay him all that money. Now that he has found a home, what appears to be in Atlanta, what kind of season do you project? What have you seen in camp for one? And what kind of season do you think he will have 
now that he's kind of given, I would say, a rebirth? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And honestly, I think it's a question that we're all kind of looking at in terms of, like, how the Falcons will really use Todd Gurley. Because, you know, last year and pretty much the year before, the, the the run game was not established. They could not get more than, what, like three yards a pop, if that. Um, so being able to see an increase in the run game and enhancing that run game was always a conversation of training camp. But it almost kind of falls less to Todd Gurley in a way and more to the offensive line. And I think, like, you look at kind of the offensive line as a whole and the the struggles that they had last year are very well documented. Um, and I think it'll be a situation where, like, that group needs to take the lead and the responsibility in seeing an enhanced run game this year. Because um, Todd Gurley, I think, is going to go out and do what Todd Gurley does. I know Matt Ryan was talking the other day about, you know, Todd Gurley's the type of guy who, when the lights come on, when the situation needs him, he steps up. And even though the Falcons have kind of been pretty cautious with him over training camp, making sure that he has, you know, his scheduled days off, making sure they're not overworking that knee, I do think it's kind of going to be a situation where you see that the Falcons are still trying to figure things out with Todd Gurley, figure out his workflow early in the season and see if it's a situation where they can – rely on him for, for many carries in a game, but also maybe try and work in um, Brian Hill, who's kind of established himself as that number two running back. And um, I think you'll probably see him more than kind of what you would think with Todd Gurley on this one-year contract. I think it's a situation where it's like the Falcons are going to try and figure out exactly how they can maybe use multiple backs in a situation. You did mention the old line and last season Matt Ryan tied – for third with Kyler Murray with being sacked 48 times. And so in other words, he got knocked around. And (laughs) do you think that the offensive line is any better this year where he can, you know, maybe not be where he was last year in terms of being knocked around and being sacked? Yeah, I think this is where, like, having those preseason games would have been super beneficial for me to, like, really know where this offensive line is. But, of course, we didn't get preseason games. So – it's a little hard for me to tell exactly where this offensive line is because, you know, they're not really full-fledged tackling right now. Like, there is not a, it's not a situation where the Falcons have been going 100%, like, in a, a live game scenario. So, they've been, you know, knocking pads around with that defensive line, but I, I don't know exactly how they're going to come out this year, if I'm being completely honest. I don't know if there's going to be a – significant jump in the offensive line. I will say this, though. I think having Chris Lindstrom back, um, you know, hopefully full-time because he missed all but four games last season with a foot injury, and I think having him back is going to be really important for that right side of the offensive line. I know he's someone that Dan Quinn has called out numerous times over camp as being the guy who they really need him. And they want him in that that right guard position beside Caleb McGarry at right tackle because it kind of makes Caleb McGarry better. So I think he's a key on the offensive line. And then looking at the other side on the left side, that left guard position was really the only one that was kind of up for grabs um, during training camp. And for a long time, I thought that it was going to be Matt Hennessy, who's the rookie out of Temple. Um, he was kind of getting a lot of the first team reps, but he has been injured for the last, week with a knee injury and he was back out of practice yesterday but you know they have already said that James Carpenter is going to be the starter at left guard for the Seattle game on Saturday or on Sunday so 
We'll see. I don't know. I, I think like, there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of, like, between Chris Lindstrom only having four games last year and James Carpenter and Matt Hensy and not really knowing what they're going to do with the left guard position, I think it's going to be a situation where it's like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Tori, you're new. It's your first time on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, but you're about to get asked my favorite question that we always have. Uh, we have when we have guests on the show. Is Matt Ryan good? <laughs> I love. Okay, so you're gonna find this very funny. But my very first day on the beat, um, they, I, I, you know, I tweeted out that you know I was moving from Georgia Tech to cover the Falcons, and I was really excited and blah blah blah. And I wrote my introductory letter and everything. And the very first comment that I got from somebody on Twitter wasn't like, oh, congrats, Tori, like, so happy for you, blah, blah, blah. Like, it was literally, <laughs> don't be soft on Matt Ryan just because he's a good guy. <laughs> that, was the very, that was the very first comment that I got, like, the very first hour that I was covering the Falcons. And I was like, this is exactly how I feel like majority, because I feel like the with the Falcons, uh, fan base they're a very very uh jaded fan base for, uh, for probably very good reasons to be jaded um but it was a very split thing it was like you had people who love matt ryan and they're like he should be like he should be the top tier of all nfl quarterbacks like during uh during this era of, of nfl football and so on and so forth and then you have the other people that are just like nah we don't really <laughs> like him that much don't be don't be easy on him like all this kind of stuff and i'm just like I need to figure things out for myself. I mean, we've I've talked to him probably a few times just over Zoom, and um, I get what they're saying. He's a really, really nice guy. He's always good to answer questions and everything. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of like how this year pans out for him in terms of kind of where he falls in terms of like, is he good or not? <laughs> well, it, as you've probably learned over the last month or so, I mean, you were in Atlanta as well, so you probably already got a whiff of this. Falcons fans are emotionally scarred. I mean, they've been through a lot. So, right? Yeah, they've, they've, they have, and it's so sad. Yeah, <laughs> so over, sad. O- over just like multiple like iterations of Falcon fandom, whether it's all the way back to the late 90s to the mid-2000s where they had this generational talent who decided to fight dogs in his spare time and the 28-3 Super Bowl. It's They've been through a lot, so I understand why they have just such visual reactions to everything, and Matt Ryan catches um, – a lot of that. Uh, Mike's uh, uh, staying on Matt Ryan for a second. Mike Sando, shout out to uh, Mike at the Athletic, did a great QB tiers piece as he always does every year, and Matt Ryan landed in tier two. And kind of how I've separated quarterbacks from reading Mike is uh, separating them between guys you win with and guys you win because of. You know, because of being yeah. guys like Mahomes or Russ or even Lamar maybe, um, and then the guys you win with, where like a Blake Bortles in 2017 or whatever people think Aaron Rodgers is right now. Uh, of those two categories, where would you put Matt Ryan in 2020? Well, I think I think Mike said it the best, and I think it was – because I read that too, because it was like within the first week that I was on the beat, and I just was curious kind of where, you know, some of the scouts that he had talked to put Matt Ryan. And I think, I think they were probably on the money with, like, he's a guy that you kind of, like, win with. Um, I think, like, having – I don't know. The fact that he's had Julio with him for so long is just kind of like a really uh, a really good part of his career. The fact that he has been been with Julio for so long and the, the playmaker that you know Julio is. Um, so I kind of agree with that. Um, it'll be good for me to kind of see like how this season progresses, especially considering after last year and kind of the woes that was like all of those facts. Um, I think if 
you see it kind of turn around for Matt Ryan this year, you'll kind of be like, oh, wait, no, maybe, like, the guy that we saw a few years ago is, like, is the guy. But, like, if it doesn't, it kind of calls into question, like, okay, how much of this is on the offensive line? Like, it, it, is it a situation where Matt Ryan needs to be better? But I know, like, just from talking to him, like, he's definitely – you always hear the like the thing like somebody's a student of the game and someone just is exceptionally intelligent when it comes to to the game and I feel like he falls into that category maybe more than any like uh, just about any quarterback that you have right now just the way that he sees the field I think is is really interesting so um, so yeah so we'll see we'll see how it goes but I think it, it kind of does fall to a situation where maybe like you win with him but maybe not true truly because of him. Speaking of Julio Jones, who was second in the NFL in yards, one of the best receivers in the NFL, what are expectations for him this season, and how has he looked in camp? I think, like, with Julio, I mean, the expectation is for Julio to go out and be Julio. Um, And I think, like, that's just, like, the the general expectation is that, like, he's going to go out and get, like, his yards. And that's what, like, it, it... it's not going to be contingent upon very much other than like his sheer will to do it. Um, so I, I think like that's the expectation. The expectation for Julio is to be Julio. Um, and maybe that's a big expectation to live up to when you are Julio Jones to kind of just be the same consistent guy over and over and over again. Um, but I do think that's where, what they're looking for. But I think what's really interesting is kind of seeing the emergence of, Calvin Ridley behind him and kind of how they're going to be able to use Julio and Calvin together maybe more so than you've even seen it in years past. I think this is a season that you're going to see um, you're going to see those two specifically kind of work off of each other maybe more so than in years past. Just in my opinion, just kind of from what I'm, I've been able to see at training camp thus far. Well, my next question was going to be regarding Calvin Ridley as he's been going viral during the summer with his route running and being able to just make people look silly out there. But I will go ahead and make an adjustment here. Let's talk about duos. You look around the NFL, you you see a, a ton of teams that have, well, not a ton of teams, there's only a handful of teams that have elite wide receivers. But you look at Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay. You got OBJ and Jarvis Landry. You have Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen can't even say his name right, and Mike Williams with the Chargers. You got Ty Lockett now and DK Metcalf for making a name for themselves. Where would you put in Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley? I, I, I mean, maybe it's because like they're the only two I've seen up until this point, but I would put them up high. Like I, I would put them maybe in the top three or four. Um, which again, I feel like it's important to say. Like I have not been able to see live a lot of a lot of people yet um so that could change by week four of the season but i i would put julio and calvin as a duo up pretty high um just because i think when you talk to you know like i said julio is going to be julio but when you talk to calvin there is a certain like oh i don't even really know i i guess hunger would be the right word to use like the way he talks about this upcoming 2020 season he is setting a lot of expectations for himself he's he's kind of looking at this year as you know he's been pretty consistent over the last couple of years in the league but he's looking at this year in a way that I think he hasn't before I think he's putting a lot of like expectations on himself he is 
very hungry to get his first thousand yard receiving season. Like that is something that he came the first time that we talked to him over training camp. Like he was like, this is something that I want. It's something that I'm going to go do. And I think like it was really cool to kind of see that confidence from somebody and kind of just like laying it out there. Like, Hey, I want to do this. It's my time. I'm going to break out this year and I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. And this is, and this is it. Like, I, I thought that was really, really cool that he kind of had that mindset. And so, for, for me, I, just kind of like the outside looking in, if he's willing to be that way towards, like, the media and towards us just on a, like, Microsoft Teams call at, like, 10 o'clock in the morning before practice, like, uh, the fact, like I can't imagine what that translates to, like, actually out on the field. Like, what does that hunger look like out on the field? And I think, like, you're going to see a very hyped-up Calvin Ridley this year. I'm going to spin this question to both of you guys. You know, you got me thinking about the best the best duos here. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are mad you didn't mention them, by the way, Chris. Um, where do you, who do you think has the best duo in this game Sunday? Is it the Seahawks with Tyler and DK, or is it the Falcons with Calvin and uh, and Julio? I'll start with, I'm going to come to you, Tori, but Chris, who you got first? I'm going to go with oh. Julio and Calvin Ridley. Yeah? Yeah, Julio is by far the best receiver on the field. Mm-hmm. Check. And then you have Calvin Ridley, who is improving year in and year out, and I think he's taking. I think he's better than DK Metcalf right now, as it stands. Calvin Ridley Ooh, is. That might be spicy. I don't know if it's spicy. Well, it might be. It might be, but I'll take that duo. Now next year could be a whole different discussion. But Tori, the floor is yours. Oh man, I mean, I just like praised Julio and Calvin just so much. I guess I just got to stick with them. Um, but. I think it's really, like, it's going to be interesting to see how much Matt Ryan and the time that he has in the pocket affects his ability to get it to Julio and Calvin. Um, you know, like, you guys over there, y'all, like, I feel like y'all, y'all's offensive line is, is, is pretty, pretty good, pretty good. And I just, like, I think it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays into a factor of it. Um, but I'll, I'll just go just for just for you know the sake of answering. I'll go with Julio and Calvin as well. Okay, well, Mike, the floor is yours. My opinion doesn't matter now. I'm outnumbered even if I did think it. No, you got to, you got to, you got to share. Listeners want to know what you think. I do think that Calvin is ridiculously good, though. But I do, I'll put it this way. I think it's it wouldn't be crazy to say that the Falcons have the best receiver on the field, but then the Seahawks have the next two. Like I would, I don't feel crazy about about saying that, man. I think DK is going to be. Crazy. Uh, actually, I'm ask Tori this because I've been wondering this myself. So, Tori, when I watch DK at practice, I'm just I'm I'm blown away. I watch just even simply. I'm watching the dude run by me. I'm like, you know, this is probably one of the best talents like ever. But I don't want. I got to think it to myself, right? I can't tweet it because you know you get all hyperbolic on Twitter and then people just right. they come they come kill you, right? But I'm thinking <laughs> it, right? Uh, I'm I'm thinking it. How, is, do you have a similar feeling? I mean, Julio has more tape than DK, but. You have a similar feeling just watching Julio just do what he does every day that you were watching one of the greatest talents that maybe we've seen in, at that position. Yeah, no, I absolutely, I absolutely do. I'm glad that you said that because sometimes I like get in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one who thinks this. That's a little like, oh my gosh, Julio is really this great. Like, <laughs> but it was funny because we were talking to um, Michael Walker, who's one of the the rookie linebackers, um, and he'll probably get a chance to to play quite a bit this year but we were talking to him and someone asked him like what was his aha moment when he was like out at his first practice and he was like oh Julio like I was supposed to be under Julio one time and he was like 
he just got so much separation. He was so much more explosive than I thought he was. He's like, you look at film, and he's like, his film is so good. He's like, but to get out there and actually, like, be on him, he was like, it's a completely different story. He's like, you don't realize how good it is until you're standing there right next to him. And I think that was something that, for me, I kind of felt, too. Like, actually, granted, we're on top of a hill. Like, for practice, we're so far away. It's really hard to, like, really, truly see how explosive he is when he's, like, you know, really in a one-on-one coverage type of situation. But I will say, even from the hill, I'm like, dude, man, this this guy is really good. Like, I'm seeing, a, a like, once-in-a-generation type of player go out there and, and practice every day. That's pretty dang cool. Well, what's not cool is COVID and the impact it's having across the nation. And Mike's actually going to go be in Atlanta for the game. And what are some – how does it look down there? How, how should Mike be prepared to go to this city – amidst everything going on yeah it's uh it's pretty tough down here um i know like so it, it's been tough because i know a lot of teams around the league are actually testing like their media members um and y'all and the people who are tested have like pretty like a lot better access um because they're actually able to be down on the sidelines and uh maybe able to kind of talk with people on the sidelines we are kept completely separated. Like, I have not been able to talk to anyone, whether it be player, coach, front office person. Like, I have spoken to no one in person. I have not even been really close to anybody. Um, like I said, the way that they handled training camp was we had a media tent, and they, were, they gave us these little, like, trackers that would beep every time that you got within six feet of somebody, which was really annoying. Um, and... You would put these trackers on, and you would go. We would do like a Microsoft Teams call with Dan Quinn, and then we'd go up to this hill that overlooks all the practice fields. And I mean, it. I like needed to expend some binoculars because like <laughs> I, I could not see anything from up there. I just look. I look so creepy too when I'm up there because I'm wearing like my mask because you have to wear a mask at all times, and I'm wearing my hat. And I have sunglasses, and then I have these binoculars. And I'm like, I have never in my life life felt more creepy than I do right now. Um, But that's kind of the the gist of what it looks like for us um, through training camp. And then I know, like, at Mercedes-Benz, like, we are kind of sequestered in the press box. We don't get to go. We we walk in the stadium and immediately go up to the press box, and that's it. We don't go anywhere else. So it's been difficult coming onto the beat where like you aren't able to have just like general conversations with people to get them to like trust you and know that you're not like out to get them or you're not weird or anything like so that's been difficult but that's just kind of the way that it is right now now off wax mike was throwing a little bit of shade regarding the fans being down in atlanta and cheering and things of that nature i was spitting facts is what i was doing go ahead go ahead (laughs) i'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt in the situation how do you think this will all play out with teams not having fans, although some NFL teams like the Chiefs are, oh, we'll do half attendance, whatever the case may be. But how do you think, for example, the Atlanta Falcons, how will that affect gameplay and how the team reacts with no fans? Yeah, it was funny because we were talking to um, Grady Jarrett after their very first scrimmage at Mercedes-Benz, and there was like one moment where they didn't have any noise. There was no music playing. There was no kind of like, the white noise of, of the crowd or anything like that. And it was like dead silent and they're kind of out on the field. And he was like, that was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. He was like, it was so strange. 
I didn't like it. It made, it made me uncomfortable. And the same thing we were talking to, uh, Young Waiku, who's the place kicker for the Falcons, and he he was asked, like, hey, do you like it not having, like, the crowd noise? And he's like, no, absolutely not. No, I don't. I like having the crowd noise. Like, even as a kicker, like, you're in the zone and the crowd noise is part of that zone. And he's like, when it's dead silent, you're kicking. He's like, it's not really fun. Um, so it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what the different, like, perspectives of teams everywhere because then like you said like there are some places that are doing different things um but (laughs) i know for the falcons they don't like it when it's really really quiet which is kind of funny considering that like they don't really have that many fans come (laughs) to games anyways like you've already said um but it'll be it'll be interesting to see i don't i don't really know how this is gonna be uh impactful especially like during a game in terms of like Verbal and nonverbal communication. Wait, hold on. How do you say the kicker's first name? Youngway. Wow. Why did I think it was completely different? Do you know what I'm talking about, Chris? The kicker. I do. He had the uh, the extra, uh, not extra points. He just couldn't make. You kicks. know, he did three onsides in a row last year him. on Thanksgiving. That's what it was. I don't know why I thought his name was was pronounced differently. Oh, that's bugging. He's my fantasy kicker in all three of my leagues, so I'm, I'm counting on him. Uh, this <laughs> nice. Year. Yeah, no, his name isn't spelled that way, but that's how it's pronounced. Oh, that's, that's what threw him off. Okay, threw everybody probably off. He, where did he kick? He kicked at Georgia Southern, right? Yeah, yeah, Georgia Southern. I remember that as randomly. I used to cover the University of Idaho, and they were in the Sun Belt for reasons that don't make sense. But one of the teams they played <laughs> was Georgia Southern, and I thought the kicker's name was dope. So I I pitched to the commissioner of the Sun Belt or somebody was like, "Hey, we should do like an all name team." And he was the kicker on like the all like guys who had cool names. There was a guy like named Money Hunter, a guy named Colton Thrasher. There were some good names in there. And then yeah, they kick. It's you know? funny you mentioned that because I remember reading that article and it had Division One college athletes and their names. And it was it was football, of course, but it was one of the coolest things I've ever read. I mean, the the names that came up. You mentioned two of them. There was another one like Thurman Milk or something. Something yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah. There was, was there was some dude's name who had like hammer in it. Yeah. There was there was some good. <laughs> sorry, Troy. That was just really random when you said his name. I was like, wait, I know that name because that's my kicker. I have him in, <laughs> have him in all my leagues. Uh, I digress though. Uh, we're getting to the end of the show, which we do this with everyone. We always have an over under. Chris, can I do the over under this year? Absolutely, bro. We're a team. Knock okay. it out. I just all right. So there you go. Uh, this year or this game for Week One, Seahawks at Falcons, which the Seahawks are favorite. Never gamble. Um, the over. <laughs> under 200 and a half receiving yards combined for Julio and Calvin Ridley. What do you got? The over or the under? You want me to go first? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, this is all about you. We, we okay. get to just, just let you do it. That way we don't have to worry about being right or wrong. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, I'm going to take the under. And I'm going to take the under because I think it's going to be pretty – I think, like, it might be, like, a little lopsided between Julio and Calvin um, in terms of how how much um, how much they're targeted. Because um, I know that's something we've talked to Matt Ryan about, about, like, how difficult it is when you have, like, these two big playmakers and trying to get the ball in their hands. Like, you know, you average 64 plays in a game. Like, you want to make sure you're getting the ball in their hands enough time. Um, I'm going to take the under also because I don't know how the offensive line is going to look. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think, like, you know, the Seahawks, they, I, we were talking to Dirk 
Cutter, I think I mentioned this earlier, but we were talking to him yesterday, and he was like, you know, the Seahawks pressured us nine out of the first 15 snaps of the game. Jesus. So if they come out, yeah, if they come out doing that, like, to them on Sunday, I don't know how how great, like, the offensive line is going to hold up against that pressure. So I, I'm i going to stick with the under because, I, like I said, I'm not 100% sure that early this season that they'll be able to do that. And you know what? Maybe the offensive line will come out and be like head and shoulders above where they were last year, but I'm just not really sure right now not having those preseason games to go off of. Uh, I really – I mean, the Seahawks defensive line is getting a bunch of, like, crap up here. They're like, everyone – you know, they don't have Clowney. They're terrible. Um, they got ranked 32nd by, like, pro football focus, and no one really believes in them. And I think that's that's fair. <laughs> you know, whatever. That's, that's fine. I know I watched every game last year in person. I know the one game they did look great. Well, other, there was two. Actually, three total. One of them was down in Atlanta. Boy, they beat the snot out of Matt Schnapp. <laughs> Matt Schnapp. <laughs> <laughs> down there, I felt I felt so bad for him because he's like fifty seven years old. He's getting smoked by Clowney and, his, and, and Ziggy Ansa, man. I felt I felt really bad for him. So yeah, if I'm if I'm the OC down there in Atlanta, I'm like, look, whatever we do, don't be like last year. We almost got our you know fifty seven year old backup quarterback uh, killed out there. Uh, I appreciate the 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 under there. I think uh, Seahawks fans would be encouraged by that because if those two go for two hundred total, Chris, that's not a good start. Yeah, the Seahawks are gonna you you get Quentin Dunbar, you get Jamal Adams and Calvin Ridley and Julio come in or Seahawks go down there and they just drop two hundred plus. Yeah, right? Good. Yeah, no, that wouldn't that wouldn't be good. Tori, take us out on the first game prediction for the Seahawks Man to Man podcast of the twenty twenty regular season. Who do you got this Sunday? Give us a score too. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I have the Seahawks winning. Um, and I think I kind of think it's gonna be a bit more of a higher scoring game. Um, because I was asked this earlier on like one of the radio sessions down here, like, do you think the Falcons are gonna score more and lose by like a high scoring mar- like a high scoring game, or do you think they're gonna score less and lose? like also lose by a close amount. Um, I think it's going to be a situation that you see the Falcons score a lot of points, but maybe still lose. So, uh, man, also sorry if you hear the background noise. I'm actually outside. Um, but let's see. I'll go, sir, uh, I'll go 42 Seahawks, 35 Falcons. Oh wow, that is some high scoring stuff. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I think I've just missed so much football that it's like, as, as long as it, it kind of looks more like a track meet, that'd be great. Like, if everybody can just score all the points, that'd be phenomenal because I've missed it so much. So let's just like let's just throw everything out there and just play. Well, every defensive coordinator is just cringing <laughs> that would hear that would hear <laughs> that. Uh, that's but yeah, hey, I like it. Got Seahawks by seven. All right, Seahawks starting the season. Uh, want to know? That would be great. Uh, well, for, uh, for my for my side of it is, uh, Tori, I don't know about you down there, but that would be great. <laughs> great uh, up here. Uh, Tori, thank you so much for joining us on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. I gave Chris some crap about not being verified on Twitter. I didn't <laughs> check if you were before the show. Are you verified? I am, yeah. Oh, Chris, so it's just you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what a shame. Let, let people know where they can follow you, Tori. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Tori underscore McElhaney. Um, and then, of course, on The Athletic, where I am covering all things the Atlanta Falcons. And, yeah, that's where you can find me. And, you know, I'm looking forward to 
actually covering a season. Didn't think that we would get here, but we're finally here, and thank God. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you jumping on with us. Make sure everyone listening right now, go go follow Tori. Go follow her on our app on The Athletic. Make sure you go follow her uh, on Twitter as well. Shout out all of her work. Uh, on The Athletic Tour. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate all you guys for tuning in and rocking with us. We will catch you guys after some actual football on Sunday. We're out.